0: Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. AINC programming is brought to you in part by Weissman Family Dental in Boulder, Colorado. For over 25 years, Weissman Family Dental has been providing high quality dentistry. They offer regular checkups, emergency care, And a wide range of specialty services. They also have staff that speak Spanish. If you are looking for a new dentist, find them at WeissmanFamilyDental.com or call them at 303 494 0101 and tell them Audio Information Network of Colorado sent you. Thank you for joining us for the Thursday, May 18, 2023 reading of the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. News, drastic action, police oversight panel blasts unsupportive council. stops reviewing complaints after members ouster, by Shea Castle, Boulder Beat, May 18, 2023. Boulder's Police Oversight Panel, POP, last week enacted a partial work stoppage even as they were warned by city attorneys that doing so could cost them their seats on the watchdog group. The move was necessary, members argued, to send a message to city council and prevent resignations in protest of the ouster of panelist Lisa Sweeney Moran. Quote, This vilification of one of us was an attempt to intimidate all of us. Unquote. Says, said panelist Sam Zhang, quote, as if we would just robotically continue this oversight in exactly the way that they want, which is apparently not very critical at all. It's not really a question of whether we suspend the work or not. The work is going to be disrupted no matter what because of counsel, unquote. Under the terms of the stoppage, the panel will stop reviewing new cases of alleged police misconduct until the ordinance governing the POP's work can be amended. The panel ultimately voted 8-1 to to proceed. Jason Savella, the lone dissenting vote, said continuing the work was essentially to build community trust in the panel. Quote, as a public defender, I know there are cases we are not seeing, and we're not seeing them because people don't trust that process, unquote, Savella said. Quote, I'm more upset that people who are suffering violence are not even willing to bring their issue to us. I would rather us be available for them to talk to than not be here, unquote. City attorneys warned panelists that they could be removed for their decision if a code of conduct complaint is filed and upheld against them. That could be avoided by asking city council for permission to stop work, Aaron Poe said during Wednesday's meeting. Quote, As a product of the civil rights movement and many protests, I can't recall one where we got permission, unquote, said panelist madeline strong woodley Quote, "change happened as a result of taking some very drastic actions" Unquote. here's a rundown of what this means for police oversight in the city what will the panel do during the work stoppage the pop will not review any new complaints or allegations of misconduct they will finish out the dozen they've already committed To review. No committees will meet either except those necessary to work on updating the ordinance that guides the oversight panels work. Two members of the POP to be determined will serve on that work group. What happens to complaints against the police in the meantime? The independent monitor will continue to review cases of alleged misconduct. The Monitor can recommend disciplinary actions as the panel does. Boulder's Temporary Monitor is Florence Finkel, who works with Los Angeles-based OIR Group and is a board member for the National Association for Civilian Oversight of Law Enforcement. Any complaints filed during the work stoppage would, quote, most likely be closed, unquote by the time the POP resumes, Finkel said. How long will the stoppage last? As long as it takes to update the ordinance. Farah Muscadin, a consultant hired by the city to help the panel in the absence of a permanent monitor, laid out a possible timeline. The work will begin this week. A community feedback session on the ordinance is tentatively scheduled for the week of June 19. The work group hopes to meet with City Council for an August study session with first reading of the ordinance in September and a vote and passage the first week of October. Who will be in the work group? Two members of POP, a representative from the Boulder Police Department, a city attorney, representatives from the Boulder County NAACP branch and El Centro Amistad, the community organizations who had members on POP's selection committee, and Martha Wilson, a former panelist who began working on ordinance changes after resigning in November. An attorney not affiliated with the city may join the group as well. P.O.P. voted to request that the city pay for outside counsel, quote, we've requested independent counsel several times, unquote, panel member Hadassah Villayobos said. But those requests have not been honored, quote, this hasn't been a no, you can't do it, unquote, Leonard clarified, quote, it's been a pick your legal counsel and set your budget unquote. What parts of the ordinance might be changed? That will, in part, be determined by the process. So far, two areas have been specifically called out by current and former panelists and community members. The need for an independent attorney to advise POP, and changes to the language around bias that were the crux of Sweeney Moran's dismissal. What happens next? Although the panel is not asking the city's permission to stop work, council may still discuss it. As of yet, it has not been added to the agenda. If a code of conduct complaint is filed, the council will have to take action. Complaints must be investigated, either internally or by an outside party. Quote, I don't know what's going to happen next. Unquote. Poe said, quote, this is a unique situation. We'll see what direction council members want to take, unquote. News, now you know, May 18, 2023. This week's news in Boulder County and beyond by Will Matuska. Boulder County receives funding for homeless solutions. Six organizations in the area are receiving $6.5 million dedicated to homeless services. Quote, it's a significant investment in homeless response. Unquote, says Heidi Grove, Homeless Solutions for Boulder County, HSBC, Systems Manager. The funding was made available through the state's transformational homelessness response grant program and house bill 22-137 which allocated federal dollars from the american rescue plan act the goal of the grant program is to quote create a future where homelessness is rare and brief when it occurs unquote boulder county recipients are boulder county community services Boulder County Housing and Human Services, Boulder Shelter for the Homeless, City of Boulder Housing and Human Services, Mental Health Partners, and Mother House, which each received between $585,000 and $2 million in funding. HSBC works to coordinate with countywide partners to create a cohesive plan and vision to address homelessness gaps in the area, funds will be used to hire more staff, increase bridge housing capacities, address family homelessness, create a 24 by 7 facility for people to recuperate from medical challenges, and add support for unhoused adults experiencing mental health or substance abuse tra- challenges. Focus Reentry and Hope for Longmont, two more organizations part of HSBC, are waiting to hear about being awarded funding in the second round of the grant program. Public Health Emergency Ends. After more than three years, the COVID-19 Public Health Emergency, PHE, officially ended in Boulder County on May 11 aligning with the federal expiration date. Boulder County Public Health, BCPH, will transition its focus to, quote, priority settings and environments at high risk for transmission, such as congregate living facilities, jails, and shelters, unquote. Quote, where we're at in the next phase of recovery is really rebuilding and taking into account best practices we've learned, unquote, says Chris Campbell, emergency manager with BCPH, who helped lead the county's pandemic responses. Campbell says the disease will continue to live among us, adding it's important to take steps to reduce risks for people, who are immunocompromised in the community by masking or getting tested. In the past week, there were 21 new hospital admissions due to COVID-19 in Boulder County and 9,455 nationally, the lowest since August 2020, when this data started to be recorded. Quote, The end of the federal emergency declaration Signals a positive shift in our COVID 19 response and reflects an overall reduction in severe health outcomes nationally. Unquote. Dr. Lexi Nolan, Interim Executive Director at BCPH, said in a press release quote, Boulder County has been in low transmission for several weeks, which is heartening. Unquote the county is still prepared for outbreaks as it continues to monitor wastewater systems and can ramp up testing and vaccine distribution if needed, Campbell says. BCPH will continue to offer free COVID-19 vaccines until the state's supplies are gone, which is expected to happen this fall. Future access and cost for services like COVID-19 testing or vaccinations may depend on private health insurance, Medicare, or Medicaid. City finds no violation in complaint of council member. An investigation report filed on May 12 found no indication that city council member Nicole Speer violated the city's code of conduct. The complaint which was filed by Emily Reynolds on March 17, alleged that Speer testifying in support of House Bill 23 1202 was, quote, outside the boundaries and scope of authority granted to individual council members as defined by the city charter and code, unquote. And she first needed approval from the council's Intergovernmental Affairs Committee, IGA. The bill would have allowed municipalities to authorize overdose prevention centers, but it was postponed indefinitely in late April. The investigation, which was led by Dan Vogel, found that because Speer obtained approval from Carl Castillo, the city's chief policy advisor, the, quote, entire process appears consistent with, with other instances when city personnel have testified on pending legislation, unquote. Additionally, Vogel found no evidence city personnel need approval from the IGA committee or the full council before providing such testimony. Reynolds told Vogel she didn't write the complaint, but sent it to the city with her name on it from an individual who, Reynolds declined to identify. State helps homeowners respond to wildfires. Governor Jared Polis signed four bills in the last week to help Coloradans prepare for, prevent and respond to wildfires. Two bills, HB 23-1174 and HB 23-1288 address insurance challenges in the state by minimizing the risk of being underinsured after a natural disaster. Following the Marshall fire, many survivors faced severe underinsurance, some up to $700,000. See news in limbo, December 29, 2022. Democrat Judy Amabile sponsored both of these bills did not respond to an interview request by press time the other two bills help communities rebuild after disasters HB 23-1240 waives sales and use tax on construction materials for communities rebuilding from wildfire and HB 23-1254 Ensures rental properties impacted by disaster return to safe conditions for tenants. News. Windows to the cosmos. CU Boulder Professor leads NASA program to build a moon base to study the origins of the universe. But for some, it raises questions around international space law. By Sage Kelly. May 18, 2023. Since humanity began twiddling thumbs and contemplating ideas, we've questioned where we come from, how it all began. With leadership from a CU Boulder professor, a NASA program is attempting to answer those questions by peering into the universe's past from the far side of the moon. In April, NASA's Innovative Advanced Concepts, NIAC, program awarded Lunar Resources, a space industrial company in Houston, a contract for its Farview Observatory, a radio-based array on the far side of the moon, built almost entirely from natural resources found on the moon's surface, Farview will give scientists a clear look at the beginning of the cosmos and a path forward to moon exploration. The Farview team's chief scientist is Jack Burns, a professor in the Department of Astrophysical and Planetary Sciences at CU Boulder. For Burns, the forward-moving study and concept is a dream built in the 70s. Quote, We're almost half a century late, unquote, Burns jokes, quote, I've been championing this for almost 40 years. Now I am no longer the lone voice in the wilderness, unquote. Opening new windows. When construction is complete, Farview will use more than 100,000 dipole antennas, To create the largest and most powerful low-frequency telescope ever created. The 77-square-mile apparatus will use radio waves to study the composition, structure, and motion of planets, stars, and galaxies. Quote, We're opening up two new windows to the universe, unquote, Burns says. Quote, One is the window to the electromagnetic spectrum, the last unopened window at low rating frequencies. We have telescopes and observatories that operate at X ray, gamma ray, and ultraviolet, but at this low rated frequency, you have to go to the opposite side of the moon in order for it to be radio quiet. There is ever growing radio pollution on Earth with lower frequency devices, such as circuit breakers, transformers, and power generators, blocking incoming emissions. Receiving and studying low frequency emissions is impossible as all incoming waves bounce back. The far side of the moon never faces earth and has no ionosphere, which reflects radio waves, making it the perfect place to study those frequencies. The second window Burns hopes to open will peer into the time before the formation of the very first star, something impossible before. Because there were no stars, infrared telescopes like the James Webb can't pick up frequencies from this time. However, hydrogen gas present during the formation of stars gives off low-frequency radio emissions that the Farview Array could pick up. Quote, As humans, we've always wondered where we've come from. How was the sun formed? How did the earth form? Unquote. Burns says, Quote, Once we can understand how the first stars were formed, we can better understand how the Milky Way formed and potentially life itself. Unquote. One small step for space travel. Adding to the excitement of looking into the formation of the universe, the development of the Farview Observatory would be a significant step into space travel and, potentially, colonization. With rovers, NASA will extract aluminum from the moon's surface using an electrolysis process. Aluminum-plated antennas will be fixed onto the surface of the moon using only remotely operated robots quote all of these technologies we've developed can be used for other things unquote burns says quote you can build habitats and solar power stations for laboratories and mining facilities all of this is a stepping stone in the big picture exploring the moon and how to live and manufacture on the moon will feed forward to going to Mars later in the century." The current study is to further this technology, ensuring it would be feasible before launching the official creation of Farview. But if scientists like Burns have been fighting for this since the 70s, why hasn't it happened? That's a matter of interest and finance. After President Richard Nixon canceled the Apollo program in 1970, interest in moon exploration waned significantly. But now that private sector companies like SpaceX have started diving into the realm, it's become more affordable and efficient, leading to increased interest in the moon as a stepping stone to more extensive space travel. Quote, If you would have told me in 1972... That it would have taken 50 years to get back to the moon, I would never have believed it, unquote, Burns says. Quote, Now the conditions are right, so we can make moon and space exploration sustainable. Companies and other countries are collaborating, making it much easier on U.S. taxpayers, unquote. Quote, This isn't science fiction, unquote, he says. Quote, This is real life. This is happening. Unquote. De facto gatekeeper. But beyond the pursuit of knowledge is concern around what establishing a presence on the moon's surface means for geopolitics. Michelle Hanlon, co-director of the Air and Space Law Program at the University of Mississippi, says a country positioning itself on the moon even for purely scientific purposes, could be a violation of international space law. Quote, The issue is the U.S. is not the only country that wants to use space resources to build things. Unquote, she says. Quote, China isn't going to take bricks from the Great Wall up to the moon to build their base. And now, with Farview, you are talking about building an actual structure on the moon. That, by definition, is in violation of Article 2 of the Outer Space Treaty, its technically claiming territory." According to Article 2 of the Treaty, which more than 100 countries signed in 1967, "...outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, is not subject to national appropriation by claim of sovereignty, by means of use or occupation, or by any other means. Unquote. In 2020, in part to bring more clarity to the Outer Space Treaty, NASA introduced the Artemis Accords, a non binding multilateral arrangement between world governments participating in the Artemis program, which focuses on returning humans to the moon and expanding space exploration to Mars and beyond. While the Accords are meant to foster cooperation and civility in space exploration, critics say they place too much power in the hands of the United States. Two Canadian researchers, writing in Science Magazine's Policy Forum, said the Accords, quote, if accepted by many nations, could enable the U.S. interpretation of international space law to prevail and make the United States, as the licensing nation for most of the world's space companies, the de facto gatekeeper to the moon, asteroids, and other celestial bodies, Hanlon says claiming territory could build legal tension between nations And work needs to be done to make laws more clear. Quote, the problem with space law is that it's entirely academic, unquote, Hanlon says. Quote, many are used to space because these deep think what could be ideas. But now we're here. It's not hypothetical. This is the transition we are looking at. And it's very frustrating that people aren't aware of what's going on. We need to get it out of academia, unquote. Moving forward, Hanlon isn't against the idea of Farview, but says humanity should move forward together, quote, We need to do this as a species, not sovereign nations, unquote, she says. Farview is an early stage project going through a two-year design study. If everything goes as planned, the construction could begin as soon as 2030. Opinion. The House Always Wins. SB 23-259 will enable more problem gambling in Colorado. By Corinne Newstatter, May 18, 2023. Colorado's 74th General Assembly was one of the most contentious sessions in recent history. In the midst of debates on local zoning policies and tax refunds, a bill managed to pass in its third reading on the evening of May 6, Senate Bill 23-259, or Extension of Credit for Limited Gambling, passed 33-32 to in the House of Representatives. The bill, which still requires the Senate to vote on House amendments before it can head to the governor's desk allows casinos to extend lines of credit of at least $1,000 to gamers. But the consequences for Coloradans could prove far more dire. It ignores the inherent complexity of addiction, which demands legal boundaries to counter it, instead allowing casinos to operate with impunity." Keeping gambling recreational depends on going into it with a clear plan, sticking to a budget and a time limit, playing solely for entertainment, and treating winning as a bonus can help players stay within their boundaries. The Prevention Action Alliance recommends never gambling on credit, as it can enable customers to spend beyond their limits without realizing the full obligations of the financial contract they've entered into. SB 23-259 requires customers to apply for lines of credit beforehand, denying credit to those with outstanding warrants, unpaid child support debt, unsettled debt to the state, Or restitution from a state-level criminal case. However, there are no other explicit guidelines for casinos in determining whether a person is creditworthy. There are no limits on who a casino can approve outside the definition of being, quote, creditworthy, unquote. A potentially life-altering debt obligation needs to come with a detailed accounting of its terms and conditions, including its impacts on a person's credit score. Moreover, SB 23-259 dictates that customers can take out lines of credit totaling $1,000 or more, nearly half of Colorado's average monthly rent, and a third in Boulder. Upping the ante will encourage customers to spend more money than they can afford on an activity that is inextricably linked with addiction. One needn't look further than Nevada's gambling regulations to see how casino offered credit lines of smaller amounts can impact people's lives. Nevada has allowed gambling for over 85 years, but many of its regulations haven't integrated 21st century psychology. Nevada has one of the highest rates of gambling addiction in the United States. Casinos there can offer, quote, casino markers, unquote, or interest-free lines of credit to customers they deem creditworthy. However, these credit lines must be paid within 30 days, after which the casino can pull funds from the customer's banking account. Since the Nevada State Legislature gave casino markers the legal status of checks. If the account doesn't have sufficient funds, the customer has five days to send the funds, after which the unpaid debt becomes a criminal case, either a misdemeanor if the debt is under $1,200 or a felony if it's over $1,200. SB 23-259 doesn't establish criminal penalties for unpaid credit lines, But it does require customers to repay them within 150 days, after which casinos can pursue, quote, all remedies at law to recover unpaid credit, unquote, in addition to interest and recovery costs. Since there's no maximum interest rate outlined in the bill, casinos can charge whatever rate they want to customers, depending on how creditworthy they are. Operating without any of the comparatively stringent laws of the banking industry means casinos can effectively operate as loan sharks. On the heels of Colorado's nation's sports betting industry, it's not hard to see how easier access to gambling can enable addiction. There are no regulations dictating how sports books can advertise or entice customers to use their platforms, Which has led to the widespread adoption of gamified mobile app betting, with enticing betting offers that can double a wager and keep a user hooked even longer. This design can be especially addictive for young adults raised with technology at their fingertips, which made the University of Colorado Boulder's recently terminated partnership with Sportsbook Points Bet all the more problematic. Colorado didn't prioritize treatment for addictive gambling until 2022 when a bill passed the state legislature to fund a grant program to treat problem gambling. Concurrently, there's been a 45% increase in calls and a 225% increase in texts to the problematic Gaming Coalition of Colorado since 2020. Yet there's still only five counselors in the state certified to treat gambling addiction. So what will SB 23-259 achieve? While its sponsors argued the bill would make gambling easier for wealthy customers who don't want to carry cash, the truth is more complicated. Consumer-centric safeguards in an industry whose victims tend to suffer in silence have lagged behind the flood of addiction in-app gambling has caused. And SB 23-259 only builds on this divisive legacy by empowering casinos and ignoring the guidelines the state's own coalition on problematic gambling set forth. It's not clear whether the bill will be affected by the coalition's self-exclusion program either, which allows Coloradoans with a history of addictive gambling to surrender their check-cashing privileges and club memberships at gambling facilities. But given the bill's recent passage and potential variability among casino credit-granting procedures, it might not be possible to, quote, cut off, unquote, pathological gamblers from credit entirely. Of the estimated 128,000 pathological gamblers in Colorado, only 600 have signed up for the self-exclusion list. Much like the legalization of sports betting, SB 259 will allow gambling companies to extend their influence deeper into their customers' pockets. This bill might not make gambling instantaneous, like the legalization of sportsbook betting, but its danger lies in making financial realities obscure. Much like the accumulation of credit card debt, its intangibility makes it that much easier to accumulate. At the same time, This law comes on the heels of a record year for American gambling, with more than $549 billion in revenue reported by casinos and mobile gaming apps in 2022. Colorado has shied away from addressing gambling addiction for decades, keeping it under-regulated as the industry has grown. State legislators have a responsibility to protect as many people as possible, especially in an industry that's shown itself to prey on people's worst instincts and erode the boundaries between recreation and addiction. Without detailed and enforced laws within the gambling industry, Colorado may bear a greater resemblance to Nevada in the coming years, beholden to an overpowered economic machine that doesn't just play the game, but makes the rules. The house always wins, even as some go bankrupt. This opinion does not necessarily reflect the views of Boulder Weekly. Opinion. Writers on the Range. Old Bones can be a small town's movie stars. By Adam Larson, May 18, 2023. The prehistoric past can perk up the present. When woolly mammoth bones were found in my hometown in Wisconsin years ago, they became the centerpiece of one of our local museums. Today, they continue to attract visitors and serve as one of the city's informal symbols. Unfortunately, the story across much of the fossil-rich West is more abandonment than local fame. During the late 19th century paleontologists made huge finds in the region, excavating specimens of famed dinosaurs like Triceratops, Stegosaurus, Diplodocus, and Allosaurus. But like many would-be movie stars, the bones ended up leaving their rural sites to find fame in the big cities. Left behind were holes, literally in the case of the dinos. It took time for the West to stake its claim to keeping some fossil finds at home. Countless fossils, for example, have been exhumed in Wyoming since the late 19th century. But the University of Wyoming Geological Museum in Laramie didn't have a single mount of a Wyoming dinosaur until 1961. One reason was money. Even today, a town might be located right next to a spectacular fossil site but limited municipal budgets can make it hard to keep the lights on in a museum. Funding for the collection, curation, and study of fossils doesn't always match up with areas containing many fossils. Yet everyone benefits when at least some fossil finds stay put. In many cases, they are discovered not by paleontologists, but by ordinary citizens. In 2006, oil workers in Wyoming happened upon a giant white bones, recognized their importance, and called in experts. The bones were part of an enormous 11,600-year-old Colombian mammoth. Thankfully, that mammoth is now on dis- public display at the Tate Geological Museum in Casper, Wyoming. The landowners whose property contained the mammoth bones thoughtfully chose to donate them. Once in local museums, fossil displays give people in the area examples of the bones they might come across and a place for them to contact if they find something unusual. When locally found fossils stay local, they also connect people to their prehistoric heritage and encourage them to donate discoveries to local museums. But there's more. Fossils help the local economy by attracting visitors. Once local museums start drawing a crowd, they can help pay for themselves while also indirectly contributing to schools and roads. According to the national group Americans for the Arts, tourism from museums and other cultural nonprofits generates $5 in tax revenue for each dollar they receive in government funding. Thankfully, a lot has changed since the first fossil hunters descended upon the West in search of prehistoric dinosaurs, mammals, and more. Fossil fans in the West no longer have to travel hundreds or thousands of miles to see incredible discoveries made in their home states. For example, in Ekalaka, Montana, population 399, the Carter County Museum hosts an annual Dino Shindig, which attracts paleontologists from across the country and hundreds of other visitors. As Carter County Museum director Saber Moore told the documentary series Prehistoric Road Trip, the shindig shares groundbreaking science and includes the landowners who made the discoveries possible. At the Wyoming Dinosaur Center in Thermopolis, Thermopolis, population 2,725, visitors can see fossils of dinosaurs large and small, tour active dig sites, and even take part in the digs themselves. Quote, I like that we're a destination for folks coming to Thermopolis, unquote, said Levi Schinkel collections manager at the Wyoming Dinosaur Center and a Thermopolis native. Quote, we're a small museum, unquote, he added, quote, but we're often in the same conversations as the large museums in urban centers, unquote. In North Dakota, the North Dakota State Fossil Collection is on a quest, in the words of founder John Hoganson, to put, quote, a fossil exhibit in every town. Unquote. The program has helped put up more than two dozen paleontology and geology exhibits across the state, from Pembina, population 512, to Lidgerwood, population 600, to Bowman, population 1,470. Sharing a home where the dinosaurs once roamed definitely adds to local pride. When the Museum of the Rockies in Bozeman, Montana obtained a second large Tyrannosaurus rex, they put the second one up on display in the museum as, quote, Montana's T-Rex, unquote. And they loaned the other to the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., where it's now known as the, quote, Nation's T-Rex, unquote. Sharing the riches of the West's past right here in the West enriches everyone. Adam Larson is a contributor to Writers on the Range, writersontherange.org, an independent nonprofit dedicated to spurring lively conversations about the West. He is a former editor of the Wyoming Dinosaur Center's newsletter. This opinion does not necessarily reflect the views of Boulder Weekly. Entertainment Music. Lightning Crashes. Local prog funk freaks, Thunder Boogie, are out to cause a scene. By Katie Rhodes, May 18, 2023. Lifelong musician and lyricist Jake Downey sat down next to Lauren Tyler at a party two years ago, guitar in hand, working through a bass line that had just popped into his head. He was surprised when she started singing along. Quote, I told her, I'm going to build a band around your voice, unquote, Downey remembers. At this point, the core group that would become Thunder Boogie was already writing and playing music together. Downey had left behind his last project, a band called Amphibious Man, when Tyler came into the picture, but it would be another year before she officially joined the group. Quote, We didn't want to bring in a singer, especially someone as talented as Tyler, until we had a band, unquote, Downey says. After that, the dominoes fell quickly. Pedro Urbina and Brian Degasse joined on guitar, with John Goody Goodman on keys. Ryan Wheel had already been drumming with Downey, working on what he describes as, quote, fleshing out a lot of the alchemy, unquote, that became Thunder Boogie's, quote, bass-driven progressive drum sound, unquote. In fact, almost all of the current band members had played together at some point. Once Tyler got on board, the circle was complete. Although there seems to be some debate among members as to what the band's actual genre is, Tyler says... One common thread is the outfit's knack for pushing the sonic envelope. Quote, I call it silly rock, unquote, Tyler says with a laugh. Quote, it's basically just all experimental. That's where you get the unexpected bass lines and riffs. Unquote. It's those unexpected moments that make Thunder Boogie a counterintuitive musical experience. Unconventional hooks slide through alt-rock chords and bass-forward melodies, while Lauren's soulful croon breaks through with depth and mastery. Playing with so many different sounds could have potentially led to an off-kilter jam band disaster. Instead, the band has turned it into their greatest strength. Quote, Complication comes with the territory, unquote, Downey says quote. "It's about finding a way to string different sounds together in a way that's complementary and complex. Unquote. The members of Thunder Boogie agree that while they're all equal partners in the band, the main vision behind the music is Downey quote. He understands rhythm and melody better than anyone I know, Unquote, Wheel says. Quote, it's not academic for him, though. He just knows it intuitively, Unquote. Things started moving forward for the band pretty quickly after a February show this year at Sanitas Brewing Company, which resulted in their first live album. Now, Thunder Boogie is booked through August with upcoming shows at the Fox Theater on May 19 and Cervantes' Masterpiece Ballroom on June 2. Quote, Right now, things are so fresh and it feels like we have endless space to move into, unquote, Goodman says. Quote, We have this huge backlog of songs Jake's been writing for years that we're working through putting our own flavor and twist on things. We have a lot of freezing to messy up these melodies he's written, which is nice, unquote. Tyler brings a little something extra to the table as well. Jake may be the mastermind, but she drives the energy on stage with her ecstatic, wide-ranging vocals, singing and dancing at the same time without missing a beat. Quote, My whole goal is to mesmerize, unquote, she says. It seems that the whole band, although a motley crew, shares a similar vision for creating a spectacle. See it for yourself over the upcoming months at performing venues on the Front Range, including a string of performances from May 26 through June 4 with the Denver-based Life Art Dance Ensemble. Quote, we've played to a ton of different kinds of crowds, but our shows have really become something special. Unquote, Wheel says. Quote, friends and strangers coming together to hear us play and vibe out with us. It's a dream. Hopefully it's just the beginning. Unquote. On the bill, Thunder Boogie and the Casino Effect with Curb Surfer, 8 p.m., Friday, May 19th, The Fox Theater, 1135 13th Street in Boulder. Entertainment Music from the Old Country with Love. Local Monthly Showcase celebrates Music of the Diaspora by Adam Perry, May 18, 2023. The sounds filling Denver's Mercury Cafe at the end of each month may come from Colorado musicians, but the traditions behind them traveled a long way to get here. That's the idea driving Festo Festo, a regular showcase of mostly traditional European folk music and dance, connecting local communities whose paths to the Front Range began at scattered points across the globe. Quote, I think of it as music of the diaspora, unquote, says Denver Trumpeter Tung Fam, co founder of Festo Festo and longtime member of ten piece brass band Gora Gora Orchestar. Quote, the goal of Festo was to bring communities together, people who are in the Jewish community, people who are in the Balkan community, people who are in the folk dance community, and musicians. We originally thought, quote, let's get these groups together to share ideas and dance together, unquote. This month's featured harvest is the Boulder Klezmer Consort, whose musical lineage traces back to the Jewish communities of Eastern Europe. Festo Festo is usually held on the last Thursday of each month, but since that falls on the Jewish high holiday of Shavuot, this time around, the upcoming di- edition will happen on Tuesday, May 23. But regardless of when they take the stage, band leader Sheldon Sands, who met Festo, Festo co-organizer Aitan Kantor in Boulder a few years ago, says he jumped at the opportunity to take part in the showcase spearheaded by a collaborator he admires. Quote, We've had numerous chances to share a stage. He has an awesome voice, musicality, and presence, unquote, Sands says. Uh, quote, I guess you can say we belong to a mutual admiration society, unquote. Sands first got into klezmer music, whose name comes from a Yiddish contraction of the Hebrew words clay for instrument and zemmer for song as a student at Naropa University in the 1980s. Traditionally featuring instruments like violin, accordion, tuba, and hammered dulcimer, he says he found the genre, quote, fun and expressive, also sometimes downright hokey, unquote. But after 20 more years of immersion in various genres of international music, Sands found a passion, quote, I get particular joy playing this music and sharing it with our greater community, who, regardless of background, have been incredibly receptive, unquote, he says. Quote, while I didn't grow up on it, all four of my grandparents were born in the late 19th century in the shtetls, the small towns with Jewish populations of Eastern Europe. This was the music played at weddings and other simchas, happy events. I sometimes feel while performing like we're embodying the spirit of those times and places and encouraging, as my ancestors did, the impulse to find joy and laughter in the midst of all life's challenges, which they certainly had their fair share of. And we do as well, This is my Judaism. Before he became a music teacher for Denver public schools and fiddler vocalist for local groups like Up Sharon and Had Gaba, Festo Festo co organizer Cantor grew up with traditional music. He remembers being blown away by Itzhak Perlman in the film In the Fiddler's House as a kid. Quote, I didn't take that out much into the non-synagogue world until I was in Hadgaba, where I started to learn that there were both Jews and non-Jews who were excited to dance to this music and learn it outside of the synagogue context, unquote, Cantor says. I was one of those guys. One of Cantor's missions with klezmer music is to teach people that it's not an Israeli or even simply a Jewish art form, but rather a musical melting pot representing the forced migration of communities across the map. Quote, this music is very much European, with some influences from places like Turkey, Unquote, he says. Quote, I don't relate to this as Israeli music, and my family isn't from Israel. I'm excited to learn about where my family is from, and not necessarily be playing Israeli music. Cantor's fellow co-organizer Tham, who grew up in Boston, took a different path to the world of traditional European folk music, joining the circus. As for your average Festo Festo, which really got going in July of last year, visitors can expect two house bands, Gora and Upsherin and then the featured act, culminating in a 30-minute jam session involving musicians and dancers that include both the scheduled artists and the audience. Quote, There are a lot of unaffiliated young Jewish people for whom this is one of their main forms of connection to Jewish life and Jewish culture. Unquote, Cantor says. Quote, Somebody even said to me, I don't go to synagogue, so this is my Judaism. Unquote. On the bill, Festo Festo featuring Boulder Klesmer Consort, 7 to 9.30 p.m. Tuesday, May 23, Mercury Cafe Jungle Room, 2199 California Street, Denver, $5 plus suggested donation. Thank you for joining us for the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at